The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, the 2023 Cleveland Browns have won six of eight games decided by four points or fewer. This has conjured up old memories of the cardiac kids, the 1980 Cleveland Browns, who had a similar season, of course, and maybe, just maybe, should have kicked the ball in the playoffs. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, it's late. Look, holidays, Merry Christmas to everybody. I got my notes and everything's around me, and my voice is a whole lot better than last week. So, hey, NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals, and it's cool if you already know this stuff. Congratulations to you. Uh, Cookies for everybody. But there's always someone else who does it. This show exists for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So what I'm here to do, I'm here to enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Dale Jr. The show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. BellyUpSports.com. Go to it. Click on it. Check out all the shows, especially this one. And you can catch all of our shows, including this one. Uh, on our home base of Megaphone, that's M-E-G-A-P-H-O-N-E. And of course, all of the favorites like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and then we have shows also on YouTube. I'm not there yet. So let's get right to it. Storylines. Look, it's real simple. Talking to fans as well as friends and coworkers. Just a weird week. You know, it's just a weird, weird week. In some cases, maybe not so much. But um, many people expected so many things that transpired this week. You know, they did well, did not expect the things that transpired this week in football. The Steelers offense, the Jets, the Panthers, uh, how bad the Jaguars have continued to be. Dallas on the road, New England, surprising. And then the Chiefs showing us who they really are this season. It's not going to change. And the King Arthur of the NFL. Brock Purdy, I'll explain later. With that being said, week 16, the rundown. Saints, Rams, Thursday Night Football, TNF, Amazon. Uh, I think Sean McVay told the team before the game that they would have Christmas with their families if they want. So, you know, the announcement was made after the game and after the win. And any way you slice it, when you race out to a 30-7 lead, there's something to play for other than the playoffs, right? But... He gave them all the way off until today. I think today they actually first, you know, they just got back to work. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Matt Stafford, Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, they all continue to dominate for the Rams, who have gone 5-1 and one in their last six games and are now over 500. They are 8-7. and seven. A lot of those teams this year. 8-7, and 7-8. Seven, seven and eight. It's, it's crazy. It's just so crazy. Very few teams. I think seven, I think, total have had double-digit uh, wins in the win column. But anyway, the Rams, their effort to make the playoffs in the NFC, they have to keep winning. They have to. The Saints, on the other hand, they keep losing at the wrong time. Their car really brought them back. Uh, they still came up short even after another 300-yard performance from Carr and three touchdowns. Rams 30, Saints 
22. Saturday, we had games on Saturday. That was pretty cool. Bengals, Steelers. Yep. Can't make this stuff up. And I know it was Christmas time, but I can't help it. And I know it's cheesy and it's lame, but Rudolph did glide the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, slate on Saturday. And that's what happens when you get George Pickens the ball. Sure, he needs to be a way better teammate. Block, you know, do your job, right? I know you're frustrated, but they got to do the ball. And do you know um, what I've seen? That the other quarterbacks are scared to throw the football down the field. I'll leave that right there. Kitty Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. Anyway, uh, Pick, he caught four passes, 195 yards, and two touchdowns. That's production. All right, as for Cincinnati, the backup quarterback within showed up for Jake Browning. And it seems like the Pittsburgh Steelers are kind of his kryptonite right now. Three interceptions that he threw led to 17 Steelers points. Steelers 34, Bengals 11. Bills, Chargers, this will be really short. I honestly missed a good uh, part of this game in the first half. But I looked up and L.A. was up 10 to zip. My wife has a pair. I'm not Paramount Plus. She has Peacock. I had it when it was free, and now that I have to pay for it, you know, it just doesn't get used. I'm going to have to go ahead and subscribe. But you know, but they were up ten to zip. I said, "Babe, I need your code. You know, give me your password." She gave it to me, and I'm watching the game. But that ten nothing lead didn't last very long. And although the Chargers trailed 14 to 10 at halftime, they just came up oh so close if you missed the game Cameron Dicker he kicks four field goals Tyler Bass kicked one for Buffalo and it was the game winner for 29 yards out Bills 24 Chargers 22 Sunday Sunday noon starting with the Browns and Texans Houston you had a problem that great defense let you down uh specifically the defensive backfield they couldn't cover a bed with a sheet correction they couldn't cover Amari Cooper Coop had a franchise record 265 yards receiving on 11 catches and scored twice and i talked to a buddy of mine uh he's a fedex ground driver i work for express he comes and picks up on his fantasy team he had cooper on the bench mm. uh joe flacco continues to amaze even though he had two more interceptions really didn't matter 200 excuse me 368 yards through the air and uh you know he knew where his help came from on offense and the other quarterbacks on the other team for houston uh you got Davis Mills, Case Keenum, didn't matter, ineffective. C.J. Stroud, limited participant in practice this week so far. If he doesn't get back soon, very soon, I'm sure, well, I'm not really sure, Houston is going to have a really good chance to make the playoffs. And then again, it is the Titans, and then they got the Colts, but you never know, Browns 36, Texans 22. Commanders, Jets, I have no idea um, you know what Key and Peele episode that was. Where Jordan Peele was like sweating like someone poured a bucket of water over his head. There's a meme of that, right? Uh, that had to be the Jets head coach, Robert Salah, and the GM, Joe Douglas. And I'm sure the owner, Woody Johnson, all right, very well versed in the fact that they lost their franchise quarterback and future Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but you are at home and you are up 27 to 7 with Washington's quarterback, Sam Howell, playing like pure trash. He was up at halftime. And then uh, I'll go ahead and say this, too. I'm done with Brees Hall for this season. Thank God the fantasy football is almost over. This is the last week of this. Uh, I play the guy. He gets two points. I sent him on the bench. He gets 25 one week and then, what, 43 or something like that this past week. 95 yards receiving. 
90 something yards rushing, scores what two, three times. I mean, oh God, it's just, just, yeah. Anyway, Sam Howell looks like he lost his job for the rest of the season. Jacoby Brissett comes in, probably should have been starting a long time ago. That's just me. Howell was pretty effective, you know, for points during the season, but just too many mistakes. And this week, he goes six for 20, two, uh, what, 256 yards or something like that, two, two interceptions. Cost him his job. Brissett almost led a comeback. Greg Zerline rescues New York once again. 54-yard game-winning field goal. Jets 30, Commanders 28. Seahawks, Titans, I'll say this, the Titans tried. The Titans fans, they tried. At this point of the season, without seven starters, you're eliminated from the playoffs. Your star running back, he's ready to go. <laughs> and, um, and it's just easy to fold your 10 as a team. They're professionals. They didn't do it. They had a 15-play, 75-yard drive in the fourth quarter that gave them, what, a four-point advantage. And then the defense gave up a 14-play, 75-yard drive that ended with Geno Smith's second fourth-quarter touchdown pass. And Seattle is over 500, now trying to make the playoffs. They're at eight wins and seven losses. Seahawks 20, Titans 17. Colts, Falcons. So Jonathan Taylor, who I just acquired, put him in as a starter, scores on a one-yard touchdown round. I'm rubbing my hands together, you know, like Birdman, thinking that, all right, we may have a win here. Uh, and we may get some big time points out of my boy, um, out of my boy, Jonathan Taylor. Nope, nah. And then maybe the Colts can beat Atlanta. Nope. Atlanta proceeds to score, uh, will outscore Indy 29 to three the rest of the game. Taylor finished with only 43 yards. Did have the one touchdown, and I got enough points out of them to win my game, but still could have been far, far better. But Falcons get a big win, and not behind Desmond Ritter this week, but Taylor Heineke. Excuse me. Uh, they're trying to win the NFC South. Somebody's got to, and they're now 7-8 and eight on the season. Falcons, 29. Colts, 10. Packers, Panthers. I read the story on how Jair Alexander, he got suspended for a game this week because of conduct detrimental to the team. My guy wasn't a captain, hasn't played in a while. He assumed, because he assumed his head coach, Matt LaFleur, knew he was from Carolina, you know, he tried to go out there with the other three team captains and almost screwed up the coin toss. Hmm. Glad they won the game, as well as deferring, like LaFleur had already pre-planned through the referees. But the Panthers showing a little fight. And uh, they were down 30-16 in the fourth quarter. And I was just like, well, that's it. <laughs> you know, another loss. For the Panthers, Bryce Young said nay. Uh, he threw for 312, two touchdowns. Um, but uh, they cut and they cut it close in the fourth quarter and actually tied the game. But Anders Carlson nails a 32-yard field goal with 19 seconds left. That was it. Packers 33, Panthers 30. Lions Vikings. Speaking of divisional things, Detroit treated this game like a playoff because for them it definitely was. Didn't expect this game to be as back and forth as it was. The Vikings, they just wouldn't go away. Nick Mullins, great yardage day, 411 yards and two touchdowns, but four interceptions. That doesn't help, you know. And then the Vikings only ran for 17 yards. You lose TJ Hawkinson, your star tight end for the season with a knee injury. Not good. Uh, but who was good was Amara St. Brown and Jameer Gibbs. They both scored between the two of them three times. Uh, Montgomery got him a score in as well. And between them, Gibbs paces Detroit with 80 yards rushing. St. Brown caught 12 balls for 106. And the Lions win their first division title since 1990 freaking three. 
the Lions 30, Vikings 24. Afternoon games, Jags, Bucks. I don't know what happened in Jacksonville. I really don't. Trevor Lawrence goes from an MVP candidate one minute, and then the next couple of games, the guy can't hold on to the football. He sacked three times on Sunday, throws uh, you know, two interceptions, he fumbles twice, he loses one, four turnovers for the team, and Tampa Bay, they had no remorse. That's you know, that's not my job. Sorry about that, but not sorry. They're going to win their division, I believe. And Baker Mill, Mayfield, he's playing the way that he is. And Mike Evans, frequently in the end zone, the ageless <laughs> Mike Evans, they're well on their way. Bucks 30, Jaguars 12, Cards, Bears, Battle of the Number Ones, Jerseys, that is. Justin Fields, Kyler Murray. Um, you know, these teams are pretty much toast for the team, uh, for the season. I right, it's just a fun game, I think it was, to try and watch and between two quarterbacks that could do it with their legs as well as their arm, but leave it to Chicago to be up 24 to 10, heading into the fourth quarter and nearly give up the lead. Well, you know, Bears hang on, 27 and the Cardinals 16. Dolphins, Cowboys, this one is easy. Cowboys have superpowers at Jerry World. Anywhere else, suspect, this ain't hard. Did Miami play their best game offensively? Nah. Did they have, you know, 150-yard receivers and, and their running backs rushing for multiple touchdowns and all that? No. But they did enough to win. Yes, C.D. Lamb had a 100-yard day. Yes, Dak Prescott threw two touchdown passes. And also, yes, Miami sacked Prescott four times. Yes, they forced a fumble off of their star quarterback. And simply put, the defense stepped up, and so did Dolphins kicker Jason Sanders. My guy scored 16 points on Sunday, 16 of the 22. Five for five on field goals, had the extra point, clutch. Dolphins 22, Cowboys 20. Find a way. Sunday night football, <laughs> Pats and Broncos. Broncos fans, I know that one hurt. Um, kind of unexpected, but the way the Patriots were playing, and you're down 23 to 7, the crowd is booing. Uh, yeah, but Russell Wilson and that offense, they pulled it together just in time, almost. And if you missed it, you know, the game was tied at 23 and two-point conversion and all. You forced New England to punt. Denver's final drive, probably what cost Russell Wilson his job. Three plays and minus three yards. Yeah, if you haven't heard already, he's been benched. Uh, Bailey Zappi only takes seven plays to move New England into position. For uh, the pass uh, kicker, Chad Ryland, and that dude, I thought he was going to get fired on the spot. thought they was just going to send him, like, look, you know, don't even bother giving us the uniform back. Just wear it home. Somebody drive him there. But uh, he came up because he, you know, he, he, he missed an easy field goal. He misses an extra point. And you see Belichick on the sideline just cussing, what the bleep? Oh, bleep, bleep, you know what I mean? Uh, but the kid nails the game winner. Walk off with the Patriots. Patriots 26, Broncos 23. Monday, you got a triple header at noon. Raiders, Chiefs, I'm trying to cook and watch all three of these games at the same time. It was hard, uh, but not as hard as watching that Chiefs offense. I'm shocked, but not surprised. But let me tell you something. When the Chiefs have been playing like that all season long, what would you expect? They can't, uh, they can't keep uh, turning the football over. You got to drop passes. I mean, what? They can't sustain any drives. The defense was actually playing just fine, if you want to be honest. And the Raiders only had really two good drives, if you really are honest. The entire game, they had the 15-play drive. They ended with a field goal in the first quarter. And then you had to drive at the end of the game. I know Zamir White had, what, 145 yards rushing. 43 of those came on that one 
uh, that last drive to seal it. And that was it. That, that's it. And the Chiefs fans and players and uh, yeah, they can all cuss and yell, you know. But Patrick Mahomes, I know he gave those offensive linemen those ATVs for Christmas. I don't know why. I'm sorry if you just happen to be listening. I mean, I, no shade, but a little bit. You really didn't earn it. This guy's always running for his life every time I'm watching a game. And it's not just the offensive line. You got your receivers that just, I, I don't understand it. They just are giving up a route. Boy, Tyreek Hill, looks like y'all should have paid that dude. Now, I'm not going to lie. It looks like you should have paid him because those, those receivers are not getting it done. You're leading the league in drops. It's terrible. Um, and then Mahomes is leading the team with rushing with 53 yards. Pachinko, he's got his head coming off of one of his linemen's shins. He's gone for the rest of the game because – and he just got back from injury. Then he gets concussed. And, uh, you know, if the Chiefs are going to win another Super Bowl, they're going to have to do it on the road. They had to win that game. Nice win for the Raiders and Antonio Pierce, but uh, quiet is kept. Uh, I know Zamir White had a big day, but that offense needs a little bit more in the future. Raiders 20, Chiefs 14. 330, this game – all right, that was very interesting. Giants-Eagles. I missed most of it, uh, most of the third quarter, to be honest with you. I watched it on my iPad while I was actually in the middle of cooking. My family did not want traditional, you know, Thanksgiving-type food for Christmas. We did an Italian feast. Spaghetti. We did, uh, what I do? I did spaghetti. I did chicken brines. Kind of like carabas. I did the spices with the oil. You know, they do have a carabas. Love carabas. And I also did uh, a lasagna. Well, you know, the the, the Italian stallion himself uh, got sat down on, on Monday night or, or Monday afternoon. So, I mean, I keep this one real simple. The Eagles had a 23 halftime lead, and the Giants were this close from taking a win from them and giving Philly their fourth straight loss that they could not have. All right. Tyrod Taylor, he took over for the Italian Tommy DeVito. He rolled a six-game starting streak. The Giants were 3-3. Three and three, uh, Didn't throw but one interception, threw seven touchdowns. It was effective, but, you know, it takes a lot of sacks and uh, yeah, just, just wasn't moving the ball as much. Now Taylor looks like he's the starter at 34 with his contract running out for the remainder of the season. Two more games. The Eagles trying to get right heading into the playoffs. They've got the Cardinals this week. Then they got to go see the Giants again next week. We'll see what happens. Eagles 33 Giants 25 Monday Night Football Ravens 49ers if you didn't see it uh, you, I think that you should 1981 the movie called Excalibur there's a scene after King Arthur has drawn the sword from the stone Merlin the, the magician finds him running around scared in the forest he's running around with the sword and he tells Arthur you will be the land and the land will be you if you fail the land will perish but if you thrive, the land will blossom. And Arthur says, why? Because you are king. That's what Marilyn tells him. Brock Purdy is King Arthur, and the 49ers will go as far as he will take them. When you throw four interceptions, that is supposed to happen. Four. And after three picks by Purdy, the 49ers, they were actually still in the game. This is definitely still a Super Bowl preview, in my opinion. Two bad picks, and then you got two tip drills, all right? The 49ers team will go as far as Purdy would take them, and they, they'll get right because some of the stuff that happened on Monday night was just a little bit unusual. And that wasn't unusual for – what wasn't unusual, that is, for Lamar Jackson to be magical as he has always been. And uh, 252 yards, two touchdowns uh, through the air. Baltimore Ravens picking up timely first downs, and their defense continues to kind of suffocate 
the opposing offenses, right? But to be told, yes, McCaffrey had 100 on the ground and he scored yet another touchdown. And both Kittle and Brandon Ayuk had 100 plus yards received for the night, but that's because they were playing catch up. You know, 49ers, five interceptions as a team. You had Sam Darnold come in. He said, here, here's one more, you know, one for the road. Uh, but they gave up sacks, four of them. Not to mention Trent Williams was watching the game at one point from the sideline. So, not great. Ravens 33, 49ers 19. Coming up next, this year's Cleveland Browns have had their share of close games, prompting many to say they remind them of the 1980s cardiac kids. Tonight, we'll tell you overall just who they were. So, the Cardiac Kids, you ever heard of them? That's the 1980s Cleveland Browns team that, you know, provided a lot of excitement for those fans at the time because they were an underdog story, pretty much. And they weren't supposed to do what they did during that season. Matter of fact, I think preseason, they were supposed to be, well, finished third. And I can't remember what the order was, but, you know, you have the 1979 Pittsburgh Steelers who were coming off their dynasty fourth Super Bowl win and uh, in six years. They obviously are number one. Then Houston, who had played against them in the playoffs as well as the AFC cha- championship game, they were obviously two. So the Browns had to be three and the Bengals or Bungles, they were four. And uh, But those cardiac kids, they were just really dangerous to watch. How dangerous? Well, legend has it. A Browns fan died watching a game. Now, former Browns quarterback at the time, Brian Sype, he's given accounts in multiple interviews. I've got two pretty good books that I've been reading, one written by Terry Pluto called Vintage Browns. And in this book, he tells uh, that Brian Sype had accounts in these multiple interviews where a doctor from the Cleveland Clinic supposedly came to the practice facility with a document from a cardiac machine that showed how a patient actually died in the middle of watching one of those games i tried researching it not too hard but i tried looking to see if that was actually true didn't see anything but i mean wow yeah i could see that happening but i mean we did did we not talk about commissioner burt bell who had heart problems uh what about two weeks ago uh he died uh at a Philadelphia Eagles game, watching the Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers, his two teams that he was involved in, he had a heart attack there at the field because of a game-winning touchdown that his team scored, the team that he owned at one time. So, you know, could that be true? Of course. But speaking of the old, uh, going back a little bit, let's just give you a little bit of Brown's history, shall we? If you're not familiar, kick the music. Between the AAFC and the NFL, the Cleveland Browns won eight championships in 13 tries in their first 20 years of existence. Paul Brown, whose team bears his name, okay, to this day, he personally saw to seven of those before he was relieved of his duties by Art Modell, the new owner, after the 1962 season. And that team moved on without him with one of his former assistants, Blanton Coyer, uh, Collier, who won it all in 1964, that he took them to two more championships in 65 and 68. He lost them both in 68. That was the team that lost to the Baltimore Colts 34 to nothing. And that Browns team had given those Colts the only loss of the season. And obviously it got avenged in their right to play in Super Bowl three. 69, 
They're trying to be on the cusp again. They're right there at the doorstep of another Super Bowl. This one's Super Bowl four to try to play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Another championship game loss, this time to the Minnesota Vikings. Well, get to 1970, and the Browns were somewhat respectable. You like to think that they stunk. They were, hmm, they were, eh, they were okay. They actually made the playoffs twice there, you know, in the early 70s. 71 and 72, as a matter of fact, and they won nine and 10 games in those seasons, respectively. So they did this under a former Pittsburgh Steelers guard and then Brown's assistant coach, Nick Scorch. And this was in Scorch's first two of four seasons as head coach, but there were no playoff victories. During that span, these key players were brought in. So listen to this. I'm sure Cleveland Browns fans remember Paul Warfield very well. Hall of Fame wide receiver that played eight years in Cleveland and was a three-time Pro Bowler and an All-Pro before he was traded to the Miami Dolphins. I would watch the Super Bowl memories, and of course, that's how I found out that Paul, uh, excuse me, Paul Warfield had played for the Cleveland Browns before he was with the Miami Dolphins. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting to see that, but he was traded, though, uh, to the Dolphins. And for those who didn't know yet, he was traded in exchange for the former Ohio State star, and future Hall of Famer, the Browns wanted Purdue quarterback Mike Phipps, the third overall pick in the draft. That's what they traded for. And this guy, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. Didn't turn out that great for Phipps, who was actually a respectable starter in his first two years. Uh, two years. And they won 10 games and then seven games uh, while he was at the helm in 72 and 73. But he was eventually pl- replaced in 1974 by Brian Sipe after he got hurt. And Sype would remain pretty much the Browns quarterback for the rest of his career. Both quarterbacks were polar opposites, okay? And this had everything to do with their arm. Phipps, bullet for arm, but was inaccurate. Just think, uh, what's the best one I can think of? Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> so let's go with Jamarcus Russell for the newbies. And then uh, Sype had a, a decent arm, not as strong as his, but he was accurate. Think Joe Montana. Now, I'm not saying... You know, because the guy did throw quite a few interceptions in his career. So, uh, but he was a lot better than Phipps was. Now, Scorch, that same year, that same year in 74, he was fired. Pro Football Hall of Fame and Packers guard, okay? Forrest Gregg, he was an assistant coach for the Browns at the time. This guy ended up taking over at the helm, and he stayed there all the way through the year that I was born in 1977. And he was actually let go midway through his third season as head coach. 78, Cleveland hires Sam Rotigliano. And if you don't know much about him, he was one of those underdog story type head coaches. And according to Terry Pluto's book, Rotigliano was a high school coach for eight years. And he coached uh, in college for three, all as an assistant, okay? He's a receivers coach and things like that, right? Um, and then he spent 11 years as an NFL assistant. Never was a coordinator of any kind. Art Modell hires Rotigliano, who was the wide receivers coach for the New Orleans Saints. And I think that was like 3-21 and 21 at the time during the years that he was there. He wasn't the head coach. Okay, so it wasn't, wasn't his thing. His thing was to make sure the receivers were doing what they were supposed to do. But Rotigliano was ahead of his time. He went for it on fourth down. A lot of like what they do now with these analytics, that was Sam Rotigliano's philosophy. We're going to throw the football, and we're going to throw a football whether you are prepared for it or not, okay? <laughs> yeah. 
he was um he was a guy that would say and he and he actually said this during the press conference so uh from he said that he was going to go for it on fourth down from nearly anywhere on the field and he liked to throw the football and then offensively he had handed the keys to Brian Sipe, who had the green light to call his own plays, much like some of the co- quarterbacks at the time, like a Terry Bradshaw, for instance. So, um, and he said, if he can handle it, okay, this is according to his new head coach, Sipe's new head coach. Sipe was actually perfect for this type of offense because he's used to throwing the football 30, 40 times a game. And he was a 13th round draft pick out of San Diego State. And his coach was none other than Don Coryell. Yes, that Hall of Fame head coach that revolutionized offense, throwing the football all over the map with the San Diego Chargers and others. So how was this team built? That was part of the other thing. And I'm going to start, you know, just thinking about the offensive linemen because that was one of the first things I, written, I had written down. Uh, their line was pretty good by the time the 1980 season came around. You had Doug Deacon and Henry, Henry Shepard, then Tom DeLeon, Joe DeLamalier, before he played with the uh, Buffalo Bills. He was a three-time All-Pro and five-time Pro Bowler in Buffalo. And then Cody Reason. But other than these guys, and I'll go a little bit deeper on one of these, uh, two very important stars were drafted in 78. And that was Clay Matthews, who played in the NFL forever as a linebacker. Yes, Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews Jr., uh, you know, the, the Junior the third, <laughs> yeah, his dad, and of course uh, Bruce Matthews. You know that was his brother, the offensive lineman, Hall of Famer for the Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans, and then you also had a future Hall of Famer in tight end Ozzie Newsom, whom Rutigliano was familiar with because with Newsom playing at Alabama, you know they played LSU every now and then, and he was able to see uh, Newsom and. Matter of fact, before he was drafted, he told the guy, uh, told the scout to let Newsom know, gain for uh, 20 pounds, get up to 240 pounds, and we're going to move you to tight end, which is exactly what happened. But then there's also Greg Pruitt. He's a halfback out of Oklahoma who was undersized. He was 5'9", thought to be too small. And an All-American his senior year with the Sooners, he was passed by in the draft by his own head coach as they both had were transitioning into the NFL. Well, his coach was already there that same year because Chuck Fairbanks had became the head coach of the New England Patriots, and uh, he had three first-round picks, four, 11, and 19th overall in the 1973 draft. They took future Hall of Fame guard, can't blame him here, John Hanna. Then they took USC running back Sam Bam Cunningham. Yeah, Randall Cunningham's brother. And then Purdue wideout Daryl Stingley. God rest his soul. Not bad, but Pruitt was clearly upset. My own head coach, we were 11 and 1, and you bypassed me for these other guys. You got three first round picks. And he was a guy that was actually not watching the draft, you know, because he wasn't on television. He was, uh, he was looking at the AP wire. And, you know, after that, the, that third pick was made, he left. Uh, but the Browns drafted him in the second round. He said he went to go play golf and someone had to run him down, a reporter. And he's like, yeah, the Browns took you in the second round. And he was sitting behind a future Hall of Famer at the time, Leroy Kelly. But Pruitt would eventually take advantage of the few uh, opportunities that he got to get on the field. He, the dude was averaging like six and a half yards per carry. And I mean, he was a bad boy. But um, he would end up starting nine games 
in his second year and actually made the Pro Bowl four of his first five seasons. One of those, him being a dynamic kick return uh, guy, but he rushed for 1,000 yards between 1975 and 1977, all three years. And uh, the only a, in, a knee injury got him and unseated him in 1979 after only six games. And the guy that took his place as a fullback, Mike Pruitt, another Purdue product uh, that was Greg's backup until midway through the 78 season. In 1979, he goes to back-to-back Pro Bowls, uh, and he took over as a starting fullback. Doug Deacon, that left tackle, that bad boy, an- yet another um, a gem that the Browns found in the late rounds. He's been doing Browns games on radio since 1985 at, at one point, right? And this is a year after he retired. Deacon was drafted in 1971 in the sixth round. He played tight end at Illinois. And Nick Scorich actually gave him a call <laughs> to let him know he had been drafted, but he was moving him to offensive tackle. And then Deacon asked him, was like, well, I played tight end. Is there any chance of me playing tight end? And Scorch was like, well, we'll see. He goes upstairs. He tells his mom who's playing cards with his with her friends. And she's like, well, that's nice. You got drafted. And then she keeps playing. But Scorch ended up being a pro bowler in 1980. And uh, Deacon was a pro bowler in 1980. And he still holds the NFL record for consecutive starts by left tackle. 194 consecutive games. And he did not expect to do this and he had never played tackle before never blocked like that but he was a star basketball player in high school and also played basketball going forward and he's like he relied on the way he boxed out that's way he described the way he learned how to block he even had his feet wrong you know you normally have your as a left tackle you got your left foot cocked back and uh, I think who was it Howard Mudd the famous offensive line coach uh, he asked him why come he never fixed him? He's like, there was no need in fixing. You was you were just fine. And the guy was he was a great player. It wasn't a perennial all pro or anything like that, but he was a very good lineman. Number 73 was great. Two former Dallas Cowboy teammates, though, were also key in the 80, 1980 Cleveland Browns. Uh the first cowboy in history to rush for a thousand yards. Grant Hill's daddy, Calvin Hill. Super Bowl loser against the Colts in Super Bowl 5 in 1970 and then a Super Bowl champ in 1971 he signed with the Browns in 1978 after they conjured him uh, back up out of being in retirement after he played a spell for the Washington Redskins I believe for like the past 2-3 years or something like that but he turned into more of a receiving back for Cleveland instead of being a runner and Hill's former teammate for at least a year was Reggie Rucker the receiver that played in the Super Bowl he wore number 88 as well uh, he played in that Super Bowl loss to Baltimore in 1970. And then after bouncing around a little bit with the Giants and then the Patriots, he landed on his feet with the Cleveland Browns in 1975. It turned into one of those 20-yard per catch big play threats at receiver. You know, ugly face mask, or the face mask that you find in the little gumball machine. Yeah, that's what he wore. Anyway, speaking of the Cowboys, in 1977, the Broncos had reached Super Bowl 12 in New Orleans. And, uh, and that was mainly on the strength of the Orange Crush defense. And one of their key pieces was all-pro defensive end Lyle Alzado. In 79, the Browns landed Alzado in a trade. And Cleveland was 9-7. Uh, in 79, Rotigliano won coach of the year. He put this pretty good team together, man. And they improved. They went from 8-8 eight eight in 78. In 79, they were 9-7. They played. This is when the Cardiac Kids thing first started. 
then all of a sudden, they're playing in overtime games, three of them to be exact. They won two. They were seven and five in games decided by seven points or fewer. They barely missed the playoffs. You had some other teams that had the same record. 1980 felt like it was going to be more of the same. Some disappointment and kind of barely getting by, but they were predicted to finish, again, third in pro football's toughest division, the AFC Central. You had the Steelers, and they were coming off their dynasty of the 70s, and the Houston Oilers, who were a perennial playoff team, and then, of course, it was going to be the Browns. They were 1-3 and three in preseason, and then they proceeded to lose their first two games in the regular season, and then it happened. They're winning all these close games against the Jets, and they and they beat the Steelers. Almost beat the Steelers for the first time in 10 years at Three Rivers. But, you know, the Browns would finish this season 11-5, the best since 1972. The Cleveland played in 12 games decided by seven points or less. And in those games, the Browns were 9-3, giving people heart attacks all along the way. Barely someone at the Cleveland Clinic. And Brian Sipe, he threw for a team record 3,793 yards in 1979. And in 80, he won MVP. He threw 30 touchdowns and only had 14 interceptions. And he threw for 4,132 yards. And at the time, that was the second highest single season amount in NFL history. I believe that would be behind Don Coryell's man. Yes. Dan Fouts. So, you know, <laughs> he, production, right? Uh, and so the Browns offense, this is all according to Terry Pluto in his book. The Browns offenses were second in passing yards, second in giving up the fewest sacks, which was only 23. They were tied for second in completion percentage, third fewest in, intercept, in interceptions, and that was the 14 that siped through, fifth in total yards per game, eighth in points per game. That's pretty good. In Brian Sype, NFL MVP. Pruitt ran for more than 1,000 yards. And then check this out. The passing game was obviously lethal. Mike Pruitt only ran for 1,000. He caught 63 passes. And what is also impressive, all these guys that caught 50 passes apiece, Greg Pruitt, Ozzie Newsom, receivers Dave Logan, and Reggie Rucker. And then 35-year-old Calvin Hill as a running back, only one carry. During the regular season, for 11 yards, he led the Browns with six touchdown receptions and only caught 27 passes himself. So you you you, you give them what they you take what they give you, right? And some of it you kind of Al Davis esque take what you want. Brian Sipe, Lyle Alzado, they were all pros, uh, pro bowlers like Mike Pruitt. Uh, then their offensive lineman Tom DeLeon, Joe Delamalier, and Doug Deacon, they were all pro bowlers. And then it came down to the playoffs, right? AFC Division to playoff, Cleveland Municipal Stadium. It's zero degrees outside, negative 37 degree wind chill, frozen field, and again, neither team was supposed to be there. We told you about the Browns, but the Oakland Raiders were probably even lower than that. You know, there was no more John Madden. You know, it was so far away from the 1976 Oakland Raiders, okay? The Super Bowl 11 winning team. No more John Madden. Fred Beletnikoff, Dave Casper, and Ken Stable, I believe, at the time, along with uh, uh, Stable, was playing with the Oakland, um, with the Houston Oilers. And then speaking of which, you know, Stable, he was traded to the Oilers, and they got, and he got beat by some of his old teammates, <laughs> 27 to seven. The Raiders went to Houston 
and took care of business. Well, first quarter of this game was a bunch of deep throws by Jim Plunkett and Brian Sight. Zero first downs. And the result, interceptions by Ron Bolton of Cleveland. And then the Raiders' Lester Hayes, who had 13 picks during the regular season, was the AFC Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, stick a man. It was, you know, a feeling like the first touchdown would be scored, fitting that it was going to be scored by the defense, which pretty much dominated because of the weather. You know, the, the passes were they, – and they, it didn't stop Plunkett and Sight from throwing the ball deep. They kept doing it. They kept throwing it, and finally someone got burned. Ron Bolton, uh, he picked off – his second pass intended for Oakland receiver Don Chandler returned to 42 yards for a touchdown. And then Cleveland kicker Don Cockcroft, he misses the extra point. Okay, you're up 6 nothing, right? Eventually, the Raiders took a 7-6 lead uh, after Mark Van Egan has a one-yard touchdown run. Cockcroft, he rebounds, kicks two field goals, and then the Raiders turn around and retake the lead through another Van Egan touchdown run. Well, it was two minutes and 22 seconds left to play in the game, 85 yards away. They're on their own 15. Uh, either a field goal or a touchdown to retake the lead, right, and win the game possibly. Cleveland is down 14-12. to 12. The question was, did Cleveland have one more comeback in them after playing 12 games that were decided by seven points or fewer? This game would be number 13. After passing the Browns into Raiders territory, you know, Brian Sype, he calls a draw, fools the Raiders defense. They get down with Mike Pruitt to the Raiders 13-yard line. 49 seconds left to go in the game. Everybody's warning. Okay, so are they going to kick the ball? You kick the ball, you're probably going to go ahead and win. Now, keep this in mind. So the kicker, Don Cockcroft, was only 16 of 26 on field goals for the year. Also was 39 of 44 in PATs. So he missed five, right? What I didn't know is that Cockcroft, he was dealing with sciatica in his back. I've had to deal with that my mother did for a time god rest her soul but i dealt with that briefly it is not not pretty okay you can't sleep you can't even sit you don't want to be touched i don't know how he played with it maybe he got shots but he dealt with that in his back throughout the entire season not to mention the guy had two herniated discs that he would find out about later he missed two field goals in the first half he misses the extra point and after bolton's pick six I understand Sam Retigliano's mindset. Retigliano calls the play. Red slot right halfback stay 88, otherwise known as red right 88. He was dancing with the one that brought him, Brian Sight, the passing game, even though his quarterback was 13 of 39 with two interceptions. He also told Sight not to take a sack because he didn't want to rely on taking a longer field goal if things go bad. They're on the open end of the end zone and the wind is blowing right to left. But, you know, here we go. He uh, lived by the sword, died by the sword, right? Well, they wide out Dave Logan on the play at the snap was actually open, according to Retigliano. But, and I quote Coach Sam, Brian saw Ozzy and threw it to him first. Ozzy Newsom running back across uh, the middle of the end zone, and uh, he's being covered by Mike Davis, who couldn't catch a cold butt naked in a snowstorm soaking wet according to his Raiders teammates. Sype drops back he throws it to his future Hall of Fame tight end who actually has a step on Davis but Davis picks the, pot, the pass off. Two hands <laughs> and he, he catches the wobbly pass for the game ceiling interception for a touchback. 
that ended the Browns magical season and their first playoff game in nine years. Yeah, the Oakland Raiders were going to win Super Bowl 15. They won the AFC title game against the uh, San Diego Chargers and you know they, they became the first team in history to be a wild card team to win it all. Aftermath, again, Doug Deacon, he moves into the radio booth for the Browns after his retirement following, uh, starting in 1985. And both Calvin Hill and Reggie Rucker, they go into retirement after the 1981 season. And Rucker, who was hurt, did not want to play in a backup role to Ricky Feature. Uh, so he said, yeah, I, I, I'll take more for the team. I'll be out. He's fifth on the all, well, he was fifth on the all-time list with 310 receptions and just under 5,000 yards receiving. Mike Pruitt would eventually be released by Cleveland, and then he ends up playing for the Chiefs and the Bills before retiring following the 1986 season. Both Lyle Alzado and Greg Pruitt, they actually won Super Bowl 18 with the Raiders, the Los Angeles Raiders, that is. In 1983, they beat the Redskins down in uh, Tampa 38-9. And uh, by that time, the both Pruitts, uh, though no relation, uh, when they were done, uh, they would stand like this on the Browns' all-time rushing list. Of course, Jim Brown and Leroy Kelly are one and two. Mike Pruitt and Greg Pruitt are three and four. That's pretty cool. Isaac Newsom, he retires after 1990. Love playing with him on Tecmo Bowl, by the way. He played 13 years in Cleveland. Inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1999. Of course, you know him just as well as being the great GM for the Baltimore Ravens for all those years and the two Super Bowl victories and producing Hall of Fame and picking Hall of Fame players. And he still works to the team in his retirement today, uh, although he's not the official GM. Sam Rotigliano, well, I mean, uh, the old uh, gambler, he was fired halfway through the 1984 season and replaced by Martin Sch Marty Schottenheimer. Of course, Schottenheimer had to deal with just as much pain because of a guy by the name of John Elway and the Denver Broncos in back-to-back -back AFC Championship games in 86 and 87. Not to mention, you know, the Browns fans having to deal with another AFC title loss under Bud Carson in 89. But 1981, the following season for Brian Sype wasn't great. He threw 25 interceptions, had four fumbles that he lost, 29 turnovers overall, and eventually... He would leave the Browns after the 1983 season uh, at the end of his contract. He had played most of that season, and he would sign with the New Jersey Generals of the USFL and Donald Trump. He couldn't turn down $2 million instead of the 310, I believe, that the Browns were offering him. And according to Jonathan Knight, as of 2003, Sype was still one of the top uh, tops in the franchise as far as passing records. Uh, you have the two, uh, two thousand, excuse me, 23,700. 13 total yards and then you have the completions as well as the uh the attempts and then 154 touchdown passes the next wave of browns such as bernie kosar and reggie langhorn webster slaughter kevin mack ernest Biner, to go along with frank minifield and hanford dixon those guys that played in those afc title games uh, they would go a little bit further uh in the afc play, uh, playoffs in the future right so uh they did come up short but great nonetheless and this was definitely a group of overachievers who gave the Cleveland Browns fans fond memories. And they, although they were, like I said, they just weren't a, a great team and a Hall of Fame late team, they were a good team. They were a really good team. And maybe, just maybe, they could eventually get back to that 
and they definitely need to find them another Brian site. But that's it. References thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, also BrownsNation.com. This article written by Ben Donahue, June 21st of 2020. The Cleveland Browns Cardiac Kids Complete History. Also, two books, Cardiac Kids. Am I saying it right? Cardiac Kids, the story of the 1980 Cleveland Browns, written by Jonathan Knight, and also Terry Pluto's Vintage Browns, a warm look back at the Cleveland Browns of the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and more. And then, of course, NFL Films, The Cardiac Kids. And finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic podcast presented by Belly Up Sports. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show, uh, Belly Up Media belly up sports podcast network and also bellyupsports.com go to it click on it check us out and then we're all on our home base of megaphone uh apple podcast spotify google podcast amazon music stitcher iHeartRadio, and youtube tell all your friends and family about this show wow find your house i'm out <laughs>